so if you don't know who I am, my name is John. I'm the youth pastor here at Eagle Mount Church. Um, I just want to tell you a little bit of a story about myself. Um, so if any of you have pets, that's great. If you have cats, that's okay. But I personally like dogs a little bit more. Um, and when I was younger, you know, um, my first experience of getting a dog in Canada was not great. I'm not going to lie. This dog we had was traumatized at some point in his life and did not in any capacity want to be around me. So my parents are just sitting there like looking at me trying to pet this dog. It runs away and me sitting on the couch just bawling my eyes out. Why does this dog hate me? And we decide, okay, we're just going to get another dog. So we go to the dog breeder, I guess, and there's like, we see a bunch of different dogs. This is really, really like beautiful golden retriever and something else mixed. They have like red, like throughout their hair. It looks amazing. And my family's like, you know, John, like that'll be like a really, really nice dog to get. I was like, ah, I don't know. So, you know, we like look at a couple others that are playing around and I see this dog. To me, that looks awesome, right? And it's like, it's running around being energetic. I'm like, I told my dad, I'm like, that one, that one doesn't go ploop. Mind you, I'm really young. So I did not use the word run around. But my sister looks at it, and we're bringing it home, and she's just like, does this dog, like, have any hair? Because it has, like, an undercoat, and then the second coat over top is just little wires, like, sticking up. So to her, she's like, this is the ugliest dog I have ever seen in my entire life. Why did you even decide to choose that? And, you know, as the dog grows up, obviously that grows in, you know, Fortunately, is a good-looking dog, right? Um, yeah, and he ended up being a lot more energetic and awesome than we ever could have expected. But with that, I actually saw the subtlety and undertones of what that dog could be compared to just the aesthetic pleasure that my sister did not appreciate at the very beginning. So once again, today we are looking at parables, stories spoken by Jesus that have a deeper meaning and a subtlety underneath that means so much more if you're willing to hear, you're willing to see, and you're willing to listen. So Jesus begins this parable today that we're talking about, the prodigal son. He begins it with this context of the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees come up to Jesus. They see him hanging out with, you know, tax collectors and sinners, and in fact, eating with them. This was a point of welcoming, and even more than that, was implying a sense of recognition, getting to know these people on an individual level personally. And so to the Pharisees, they're like, no, 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 no. You're doing this wrong. You are actually defiling yourself. See, the idea for the Pharisees is that they advocated for a doctrine of salvation through segregation. So Jesus' behavior of actually mixing in with people who they would not want to be associated with was seen as being absolutely scandalous. And so an old rule that kind of they live by was essentially saying one must not associate with any ungodly man. So this was taken so seriously that the rabbi would literally go out of their way not to associate with those people. And so these tax collectors, just to give you some context, were individuals who were not regarded very highly because, in fact, after the Romans took over, they saw some means of actually getting in on it. They became a point of administration for these conquering, conquered territories, enriching themselves at the expense of others. 
And the hatred of sinners, well, sinners were literally just people living immorally outside of the law that anyone would really want to try to occupy themselves with. And so from this point, Jesus tells two stories prior to the one we're talking about today. He talks about the one lost sheep against the 99. So essentially, a shepherd goes out, finds this one lost sheep, and brings him back. And secondly to this, it also talks about the lady and the lost coin. So she has 10 coins, loses one, searches everywhere to find it. Once she finds it, she hosts a party and lets everyone know she finally found it. And so these two prior verses point towards salvation, point towards a salvation. But here in this, second, in this point that we're talking about today, it brings the ending quite differently than you'd expect. So we're going to be reading through Luke 15 today, 11 to 32. So a man had two sons. A younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And I am here dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you, both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. So we're just going to stop there and we'll continue on later on. So within this parable, we see that there's many different subtleties that Jesus is trying to bring up. And through this parable, even though it's called the prodigal son, I might even dare to say that that actually, the prodigal son, isn't the center of it all. So here we begin with a family. A father and his two sons, both sons living on the land, helping out, have grown up and working. And the younger son decides to say, hey, I actually want my inheritance early. So firstly, we need to note that because he wasn't the older brother, he actually didn't even receive as much as his older brother. So he's like, man, I don't think I'm going to get enough anyways, so we're just going to take it all now. But secondly to that, inheritance was only actually brought on once the father died. So by prematurely asking, he not only disowned his father, but was practically saying, hey, I wish you were dead already, so I want your money. I don't want anything to do with you, so can I please receive it now? And so the loving father that he is decides to give his son the inheritance. And so after receiving the money, he goes off into a distant place where nobody knows his name outside of anything and anything that he knew and decided to, to live completely wildly. And to some of us who may be moving out of the house soon, we might be like, yeah, I'm so ready for that. But at the same time, the choices that he made were different from hopefully what you would do. 
Because he went somewhere where no one knows him purposefully. He went somewhere he could do whatever he pleased. And even farther than that, he went somewhere where he had no fear of being recognized. So I think it's fair to say that when we get lost, we live recklessly. So out of our own selfishness and recklessness, same as the son, we can separate ourselves from the father's love. See, the son leaves and squanders his inheritance, everything that he's been given. The father still loved him enough to give him the money and let him go. But the son was tempted by what that life is over there, what he's never lived, never experienced. And he decides that he is actually, he knows better, and that he actually wants to live recklessly, let alone what I even say, wastefully. He squanders what he's given. And so this specific individual, Jesus is actually pointing out the tax collectors and the sinners. See, God the Father has given them the ability to breathe life and breath in their lungs, intelligence, all these other things and all these other means, but they decide to turn around and do exactly the opposite of what God has asked them to, and they chose not to live in his presence. And so once you and once they exit his presence, you begin to live wastefully and recklessly. And so, you know, living in this means a lot of us, rather than thinking about our lives, we think about money, right? We're taught from a young age, save, maybe invest, a couple other things here and there. And I've had my fair share of experiences, not only with that, but also with just money in general. So this up here on the screen is a photo that I took myself. It's not a great one, but it's something um, in Egypt. So I decided I, I need to basically renew my visa going back to Ethiopia. And I was like, okay, I need to go somewhere so I can do this. And I'm like, okay, we're thinking about saving here, right? Like I don't, I don't have all the money in the world. So like I decided to go to Egypt because 400 bucks versus like 1,500, I'm like, that's a win for me. And so I get there, I'm like, oh, it's, it's all right, it's good. Long story short, we're just going to say, uh, aside from having a cheap flight, it was a very unfortunate experience. So I decided to book this tour online, which was way more expensive than I could have done in the country in and of itself. I'm expecting someone who's like really knowledgeable in English, like they're good. I can just say whatever I want. They understand. Egyptologists, so they understand everything, explaining to me everything across the board. And so I decided to start this trip. And so I walk outside and I see a car pull up and immediately they're like, hey, Morgan. I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm like, who's that? I was like, Morgan. I'm like starting to walk up to the car. They like show me a picture of myself. They're like, Morgan. I'm like, so I already know how today is going to go. <laughs> because, I mean, I could have corrected them. I chose not to. It's fine. So <laughs> we end up at the uh, Great Pyramids, right? It's a great time. Unfortunately, um, not only did I not actually get to walk around and explore the pyramids because I got basically shoved into the car and said, let's go to the next spot. I also got ripped off on multiple different occasions. Um, A, because I couldn't say no, and B, because I didn't know whether the police would grab me or not. But that's just because I was really stressed out and overthinking. But all that to say is, even though this is kind of a little bit of a different circumstance, 
it still wasn't exactly saying yes 100% or no 100% when I actually needed to steward my money, right? And so the father left the presence, or the son left the, fa- the presence of the father, and he wasn't stewarding or being responsible with what he had been given. And so like the son, we can leave the presence of God. We can squander some of the plans that he may have for, him, for, for us in the immediate. But we use the inheritance that we have, our gifts and our own talents, for, the other thing, for other things that we think are better for us. And we might not be squandering in the same means and way in a reckless behavior. But it's still not using our gifts and talents for God's purposes, but for our own. And some of us may be living in this place currently. We know that there's the reality of God's presence, but we make choices purposefully to stay away. We think that our own desires dictate our own reality. And so in the same way, the son lives in his own decisions and his own reckless behavior, and he lives wastefully. So much so that all his money disappears in an instant. That's on him. But to top it all off, as he basically has nowhere left to go, a famine comes over the land. He was left helpless and begins to starve. And no one would actually help him at all. So he ends up not actually getting a job because someone needed him to help, but he actually asks somebody. He's like, hey, I need to live. I need to survive somehow. Please give me a job. And he ends up persuading a pig farmer or a pig shepherd, just someone who owns pigs, and hires him on. And so, you know what, like, no big deal, right? That's, that's kind of the thought. Well, in Jewish culture, that's completely the opposite. In fact, this was the worst possible job a Jewish man could ever have. It was considered the lowest of the low. To even be working with swine whatsoever is considered to be cursed. So he not only gets the job, but he begged for it in the first place. And so this man was left in a place of continual uncleanliness. So not only that, he could not even go to the synagogue if he wanted to. In fact, at this point, he's pretty much stripped completely of who he was in identity of being an Israelite, and even more than that, in who he was as a man and what he believed. And so now in this moment of desperation, being at the lowest of the low, He sees the food that the pigs are given. He looks at it at his lowest point, and he sees it as something good. And in our lowest points, we can see things that seem deplorable, maybe at one point, but seem good to us now. And even if we are in God's presence, we know it's there, Or maybe if we're straying away. Sometimes we get to such a point that these detestable things seem as good. But the thing is, they hold no true value. See, this food that the pigs were given, it didn't really have any nutrition. It was literally just something to fill your stomach. And so out of our desperation, out of how far we go, the things that we think 
aren't good for us, we end up actually desiring. Because whether you're Christian or non-Christian alike, we can sometimes chase after the things that are far off from what God has for us if we're not careful. We try to fill our lives with things that we think will give us happiness and pleasure. But soon we find ourselves needing more and more and more because it will actually never satisfy. And the idea of this is that you're left empty and in want. And so for myself, something I've had to work through is basically being a yes man. So if anyone would ask me anything, just got to say yes to it no matter what. And you do this again and again and again, and all of a sudden, every minute of every day, you have something going on, and you are left stretched so thin that there's nothing left. And once it all stops, when you feel like you have it all together, and it ends, you still sit there, left with nothing. That love that you thought was felt, or that need that you thought was felt, because you actually were like, you were there in that position. It's not to say that you weren't needed, but it is to say that someone else very well could do that just as much as you could. And so you're still left in a point of being empty and wanting because you're chasing after more and more and more. And so just like we do, and the son, he labored hard to make his own righteousness, to fill his own stomach with what he believed was good for him. And so in the midst of this pain, this doubt, this regret, anger and shame, and being in a place that he never expected himself to be. The son came to his senses. He arrived to himself. He recognized a need. He looked at his position, his place, his health, his wealth. He needed a change. He needed repentance, forgiveness, and grace. But here's the thing. A lot of the times, we're just like, man, we need to, we need to get someone to get there. We need to tell somebody to get them there. I can do it myself. But here's the thing. No one forced his hand to change. It was a point of himself recognizing the state that he was in. And this is what it says. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So this might be you right now, straight away from God, completely. Maybe you believe that your past doesn't allow you to actually get to a place of getting right with God. Maybe you've never known him, but you kind of recognize that you're not living in the right place, plan, and calling for your life. But maybe you're so far that you're not even lost only in a kingdom sense, but you're even lost to yourself and who you are. See, pastor, theologian, and Christian writer R.C. Sproul says, the greatest ability we have as humans is the ability to deceive ourselves, to rationalize, to make up excuses. Some of us continue to delude ourselves, postponing the painful moment of honest self-evaluation. So the son has a point of self-evaluation. He wakes up 
He reflects on his own, own actions. But the thing is, he still thinks it through. So I rejected my own family. I rejected my status as a son. I can never go back to what I used to be. But still going through those options, he concluded that it's still better to go back home, to be a servant with food, with a livelihood, than in the position that he's in. But even more than that, he also remembered a home full of peace and grace. And so in this statement he makes, he says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So he does not only recognize the mistakes that, sorry, he does not only recognize a mistake, but realizes that he has sinned against heaven and his father. So after much debate, he decides to walk home. And out of desperation, he's walking. It's not likely an easy journey for him to take, but even more than that, he's thinking it through again and again. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? I can't go back. I can't bear to see my father. He's walking in tattered clothes, no shoes, and likely he was probably skin and bones, as we might assume. And you might feel like this, son, like you're too far gone and you can't come back. And you've convinced yourself that you're not worth it. You feel like it's too big of a jump. But here's what happens when you decide to walk back. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned both against you, or both, wow, against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have fattened. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the party began. So you celebrated when you come home. Before the son could even get a word out, his father had already forgiven him. See, the father decided to let his son go, but each day in and out, he decides to bring, well, yeah, each day in and out, he decides he still has hope for his son to come back. He never went and chased him, but he never lost heart. He remained open to seeing him again. And he never looked at the son and thought that he should just discipline him or anything like that. But he continually looked for a figure far off in the distance. And so when the father did see this, he ran. Now culturally, dads would not run. Okay? So the idea of this is that they had like big robes and everything like that. So if they did, I think it would look a little bit like wearing a dress. So... Essentially, dads would not run, but culturally he did the exact opposite because he loved his son so much that he just needed to see him. And so first, his father kissing him, even before the son said anything, was not only a sign of forgiveness and affection, but was also recognition of who he was. And so he bestowed and renewed life on the, on the son. And so the robe represented a mark 
of honor. The ring signified a transfer of authority and being placed back in the family, and the, the sandals represent the freedom that he's given. And so the son coming with nothing receives everything. And to top it all off, he was also given a fattened calf. Only bread for celebration and important occasions. And the same thing is done for you and me when we decide to come home to Jesus. And so in Psalms 103, 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so the Father is here waiting for you with his arms wide open and willing to welcome you in. But here's the thing. We can also be lost in the house. In the midst of the celebration and everything, the older son comes back and he's told of everything that's happening by a servant. And so the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So the son saw everything prepared, and he was immediately angered. All the work that he had done, all the years of labor, not even wanting to leave, or maybe wanting to leave and choosing not to. He was full of jealousy and anger, and to be honest, I don't think much of us can really knock him for that. But Jesus is not bringing the point of it's okay to be angry. He's bringing the point of saying he didn't have the Father's heart. And we can be lost in the house. Because we look at other people who come to Christ, other people who maybe make it farther along than we do, or look at other people and how they can get to a position, whether that's in volunteering or anything like that, and we're like, why are we not like that? We have been here for longer. We deserve, I deserve, I need this, I need that. I am not getting what I deserve. And so we become like the son. Because we miss the whole point, rather than actually celebrating and understanding the heart of the father, we miss the point. And so the father said, says to his son, says, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me or stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the reaction of the father is not to scold even the older brother, but is to show him his heart and his love. And everything the father had, in fact, the, the older son had all along, but he didn't realize it. He missed the privileges he had and looked towards that person going away and coming back, not looking at what he had, the privileges he had, and saw that blessing and actually celebrated by having them back in. And so the lost is found and death is now found alive. 
So you may be processing this all and deliberating whether you're going to give it all up and then come back again. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe you're on the run, running away from God, living in excessive waste. Maybe you're deep down so hurt that you don't feel like you can actually come back. But here's the thing. God is there with his arms wide open. So I have a question as we're going to close today. Where is your heart? Are you like the older brother who chooses to stay and look back at his brother coming and become bitter and angry and not even want to celebrate because he misses the whole point of somebody actually coming home and being part of the family? And if you're not a believer, are you ready to come home to God who loves you so much that he sent his son on the cross to die for you and me and to be resurrected, to take the sins that we all have and to let us live in relationship with the Father completely clean. So the Father is standing there with his arms wide open, waiting to embrace you, to give you rewards, to accept you as you are, not that you need to do anything before you get there, but to take you in wholeheartedly, to give you a renewed life and much more. And so we're given the ability for those of us who are Christians to be there, but not only to be there, but to have the heart of wanting other people to see that as well, no matter how far they might have gone. And for those of you who aren't, we all know as Christians the love that God has for us and we only want you to have and experience that even more. So let's just pray together. Dear God, I just pray that today as we have just discussed the reality of your love, I just pray, Lord, for those of us who may be in situations where we feel like the older son, in one situation or another, God, I just pray that you would just give us a soft heart. Allow us to repent of that, God. Allow us to know that you are more than enough, more than anything we ever could ask for. And allow that to be enough to, to, to see past all of our own human understandings, our human wants, but to see ultimately the heart that you have for us. And those of you here today, if you have not accepted Jesus into your heart. But you see now God with his arms wide open. Let's just pray this prayer together. Lord God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have strayed away, but I need you. And so today, I accept you into my heart to be the Lord and leader of my life. To take on the blessings that you've given me, God. To take on eternity. In your name, amen.